Welcome to Pencils Down, a Finalis podcast. This is a show for listeners wanting to learn more about the ins and outs of the private securities brokerage landscape. Each episode will feature insightful conversations with the world's leading investment bankers, placement agents, capital providers, startup CEOs, and more. And with that, let's get into the show. All right. And today we have up on the show, Sean Flynn. Sean, I am so excited to welcome you on here to the Pencil Stand podcast. Oh, Fed, I'm excited to be a guest. Thank you for having me. It's not every day that I have an opportunity to actually have a conversation with somebody who has their own podcast, which I should briefly plug as the Silicon Valley podcast. But I am very excited to have you on here to have a conversation. I know you have an extensive experience in mid-market investment banking as well. And I thought just to kick things off, I'd be delighted to learn a little bit about your story. Kind of what what was the story arc of your career that led you to the investment banking world and, and also more recently into hosting your own podcast? So the, the podcast actually came a little bit before the investment banking world. And I actually have a funny story about that that I can, can talk about later. The the podcast came about from for a number of years, for about five years total. I was helping companies from Silicon Valley set up operations in mainland China, mainland China set up operations in Silicon Valley. Uh, we were backed by the second largest privately owned land development company in China, Huashia Xingfu. And so when I was doing this, I was getting the same questions over and over again from companies. You know, how do we do this? How do we get a lease for an office building there? I'd go, oh, yeah. You know, I'll introduce you to this commercial realtor. I'll introduce you to this patent lawyer. I'll introduce you to this, this person, that person. And after a while, I thought, guys, I'm doing the same conversations over and over again. This is, this is killing me. I just want to interview these people and then say, hey, watch this video, watch this interview, and it'll answer 90% of your questions. And if you want, you know, anything else, I'll just make a, a warm intro to that person. And then, you know, you already know them a little bit. You can just go from there. So I went to the public access TV station in Mountain View and started recording interviews. And I did 46 interviews. And those that TV show is called Silicon Valley Successes. It got into 28 cities in the U.S., public access stations. And through that, I got introduced to the Investors Podcast Network. They wanted to do a, a podcast called Silicon Valley. I was on their platform for about six months before branching off and rebranding to the Silicon Valley podcast. And then since then, we've done you know, 178 episodes have gone live, 190 have been recorded. I've got to interview people like Melody Perkins, founder of Canva, Jim, Jim McKelvey, Square, Abram Miller, Intel Capital, Steve Snyder. Uh, the list goes on and on of people I've got to interview. But it really kind of started off with me being, okay, I'm, I kind of want to be more you might say lazy or efficient with my time. And just how could I go about doing that? And that led to one to the other. And then, I mean, Fed, you, you've seen it. Having a podcast is one of the most amazing things. You get to talk to people you normally wouldn't have the opportunity to. You get to, to ask them questions. You get to learn. And it's just one of those, those avenues that opens up so many doors that it's really hard to explain to someone without a podcast, just just the gateways, the the paths that open up from having it. And, and Fed, I mean, I've listened to some of your podcasts. You, you got some amazing guests. You've had some amazing conversations. Thank you for that. I, I'm just curious as it relates to you, Sean Flynn, being in China and 
connecting the dots between, hey, I need to find a way to scale myself so I'm not repeating myself every time I'm talking to these guys to, oh, I'm going to become a content engine and I'm going to leverage that in order to scale myself. Because a lot of people would look at that decision and say, well, that's an unconventional way to go about it. It's very entrepreneurial. At what point did you realize that, you know, in, in the journey of becoming an investment banker that you were clearly marching to the beat of your own drum in terms of, you know, how you wanted to go about solving these types of problems, right? There's, there's many ways to scale yourself that don't involve starting a television show or a podcast. So I think the kind of the pivot point, and, and like I said, this all started before getting into investment banking. So investment banking came about because I got, with these help, helping these companies set up operations, I was getting connected with a lot of investment bankers, with a lot of you know, private equity VCs and all that, just for these intros going back and forth cross border. And one of the the companies I, I helped was the investment bank I'm currently at. They'd raised growth capital for a company. They needed to find a secondary manufacturer in Shenzhen. I knew some people, brokered an introduction. And, you know, one thing led to another. And, and that was my entry into the investment banking world was just brokering transactions and connections cross-border and and helping people. But the the content creation, I think the pivotal point was I got a warm introduction to the person that led the IPO for the Alibaba for when Alibaba won IPO to be a, a guest on my show. And it was, hey, do you think this person would be a good guest? Would you like to talk to him? I'm like, Wait a second, are, are you are you, are you serious? I met the person for coffee. We ended up talking for about an hour and a half, and it went from this person is someone that I'd never get access to to this person as a warm intro that wa- that's taken half his day to meet me, to be on my show that I can now reach out to anytime if I have questions and we've built it. How amazing is this? Okay, I, I, there's something here. I got to double down on this. I got to leverage this. And since then, I've, I've noticed that with the show where, I mean, at this point, it's all warm intros. At this point, I have an introductory call with the person. We exchange a couple of emails for initial questions set. We do the interview. I follow, I'm talking to these people, you know, six, seven touch points for these interviews. And it's just incredible the relationships you build and the knowledge you gain from, from them. And, and these are people that if I just reached out to and said I'm an investment banker, they probably wouldn't pick up the phone. But if it's, oh, it's a podcast host, oh my gosh, let's, let's get on this guy's show. And so I've just kept going with that. So it's been a huge lead gen and business development part of, of you know the investment banking and it's just opened up a ton of doors because on one, the access to these people, but two, it also gives a credibility as people search for an investment banker to work with because, I mean, it's most investment bankers I've, I've learned really do a poor job of marketing themselves, of really differentiating themselves from everyone else out there. Yeah, they'll have logos of universities or MBA programs or some they went to, but on a personal level, you have no idea who people are. But if you listen to their podcast, you, you get to see them on panels. You know, you start building relationships. So, I mean, Fred, when I listen to your podcast, after a few episodes, it's like, whoa, I know Fed. He's a cool guy. He's he's a good guy. If I have a problem, a deal, I want to work with Fed. Right. It, there's, a, there's an authenticity to the medium because it's structured as a conversation. 
right? And it is a conversation. I'm very much on the same page. You know, when we launched Pencils Down originally, uh, we were in the depths of COVID and Finalis as a business, you know, so much of our value proposition is, you know, focused on you know, the regulatory solutions that we can provide, but we were waiting for a regulatory approval. So I felt like I needed something to, to work on in the meantime, right? And the podcast ended up being one of the projects that I picked up. And what's amazing about the podcast is that it really kind of is a win-win-win because obviously, you know, we as Finalis, we, were, we see ourselves as a platform for empire builders, people building their own investment banking platforms. So we're platform for platforms. And we saw that there was a real opportunity to convene conversations around mid-market investment banking that we didn't feel like there was an effective forum or network out there and that there was an opportunity for Finalis to bring voices to the table and so, you know, that was the impetus from a Finalis perspective. But we also recognize that, to your point, many, uh, you know, low to mid-market investment bankers, placement agents, deal makers, what have you, they, they struggle to get their name out. And they want to be able to market themselves and their own brand equity. And we saw that there was an opportunity for Finalis to do that. And so that's the win uh, for our investment banking partners. And then ultimately, it's 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 about growing the pie and about getting more people interested. And we find that when we record a conversation, we can leverage it in a variety of different ways, right? It's It becomes a form of evergreen content that we can leverage in the future as well. And I really like your guy's name, Pencils Down. That, that name for a podcast, I love it. Well, in this industry, <laughs> there's one other podcast that's called Pencils Down. It's very focused in, you know, kind of, I think it's about, you know, kind of middle school gossip. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I just, I, I always love that expression. And I think it, you know, it, it connotes, as you know, uh, but for those listening that aren't aware, it's, it's really when either a deal goes on hold or on pause uh, for, for a variety of reasons. And so typically when, when folks go pencils down in a deal, that's time to go on vacation or go out for a nice dinner and just chill out for a bit. And so I thought, you know, it. So it's got it's got a sound connotation on the one hand because this deal you were working hard on maybe it may or may not close, but it's also got a happy connotation in the sense that maybe now you have time to relax for a minute. Uh, and so I kind of felt like you know it, it was a it was a great name for just creating a space to have an interesting conversation. So just curious, just to to get a little bit of your perspective on, you know, digging in now on that on that podcast journey. And what I specifically wanted to focus on was this notion of being a, a finfluencer. And I'm sure I'm not coining that. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure I read that somewhere. But there's this notion of being an influencer in the financial services realm and how you bring those two worlds together. Uh, I wonder if you might share for our listeners just what that journey has been like for you and, and what the lessons learned has been. The journey's been pretty incredible going back to the conversations I've gotten to have with people. Some of the things that I, I think are the most interesting is I've really got to, I mean, sit down with some very successful people and kind of, as you're listening, you you pick up on things of the way they speak, the 
the references, how they build rapport. It's it's odd to say, but I can almost kind of guess the level of success someone has pretty quickly just on on their speech patterns and, and the way they communicate. I mean, if you've listened to the, the podcast a lot, the people that are the most successful, you know, whenever anything does well, it's always we. Whenever there was a mistake, it was I. Whenever, you know, before and after the podcast recording, they're asking questions, you know, what's this? What are you doing there with, with these controls? They're always learning. They always say my, as weird as it sounds, they quite frequently between like questions will say, Sean, and they'll follow up. They'll, they'll do everything to build rapport. It's just little things that I've noticed from the most successful people. And they all do the same thing with the rapport building, the learning questions, the it's incredible. So I've learned that I've gotten to see the journeys of so many people and realize so many start, you know, just common waiters jobs or, you know, do, doing something on the side that somehow they had an idea and then they doubled down on it and they went all in and the failures they had at the beginning. And so listening to people's stories have been fantastic. And then just getting access to people. At this point, it's... And being guests on other people's show. I mean, Fed, when, when you reached out and, and said, would you like to be a guest on the show? That's that's a fantastic opportunity, to be honest. I mean, getting exposure to other people's networks. It, it's a huge win. And I don't know if I, I'd consider myself a Finfluencer, but I, I definitely say I've been very blessed with having uh, the opportunity to talk to quite a few quite a few people. Well, you know, I think there, it's safe to say that there aren't many investment bankers out there that have their own podcast. There also aren't many investment bankers, by definition, that were on ACG's investment bankers to watch list, uh, which, you know, is, it, you know, you clearly are making a name for yourself. And so if we can might transition the conversation a little bit into the investment banking side of your business, I'm just curious, let's drill in a little bit more on kind of what you observed over the course of your career that led you to decide, you know what, I'm going to cut my teeth in this industry. I'm going to get my series licensing exams and I'm going to start, you know, being an intermediary, an investment banker in this space. A little bit of it, to be honest, was I'm going to say jealousy of the fact that, uh, I mean, I was making a lot of introductions to a lot of investment bankers, and I would look at them and go, wait a second, your watch is my salary. What's going on here? Like, this isn't right. <laughs> and some of them just had some incredible wins from introductions I was making. And then finally, one of them just said, Sean, what are you doing? You know, jump on board. We'll sponsor your licenses. Like, this is ridiculous. That was one investment bank I was at. And I really, you know, it was a lot of fun, learned a lot. And I was doing, like, what I'm doing now is 90% of what I was doing before, brokering relationships, helping companies get ready, helping them, you know, sell themselves in, 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 into a, you know, transition period. I mean, there was mostly set up operations overseas, and those, they, they would, you know, raise capital on that from overseas investors and, and set up operations. So now it's very similar in the, okay, how do we build out a data room? How do we package this? How, where are the value drivers? Let's build out the market. So it's very similar. And a lot of it is, you know, communication on both sides of the table, having open conversations, keeping people mentally in check, calm, you know, throughout the process. 
I, I think for our listeners, I mean, if if you're in the investment banking world, you probably know so much of it is that dialogue, that mental wellness of the, the client you're working with, the ups and downs throughout the transaction, and just being able to to kind of keep focus when there's so many other distractions in life, whether it's a loved one saying something, whether it's a coworker, whether it's the market, whether it's... And so my skill set from before trans translated very nicely. I mean, gosh, when I was overseas, so I lived overseas after college for about eight years, two years in Costa Rica, a number of years in China, Europe, and then China. And this was before helping companies go back and forth between U.S. and China. So for a, a good part of my adult career, I was in countries where I didn't know the language, couldn't speak to anyone, and would just sit there listening and try to guess from body language what was going on. And if I was able to do it, great. I get to order a meal by, and that meal is what I want, or I, you know, I get this way. If I guess wrong, well, you know, I, it doesn't end well. So, so I, I really like just sitting and communicating, meeting and learning about people. And that, that's investment banking. That's a lot of the transaction is is that listening part that getting to know and so it, it works out really well that skill set and that's the part I really like about investment it's it's a challenge every deal is different everyone you work with is different no two days are the same you're exercising your brain the whole time it's tough it really it's a challenge just to kind of push you on that notion because I'm totally with you that if you're a curious person and you like people, which you clearly do. You clearly share both of those attributes, Sean. I think that you know one of the things that I've observed in professional services generally, it's true within legal and it's certainly true within investment banking, is that the best lawyers, like bankers, tend to fall into one of two camps. You're either the relationship attorney or you're the execution attorney. You know, same thing for banking. You know, I think that there's relationship bankers, there's execution bankers, and you need both. Any successful law firm or investment bank needs both. And so just curious to get your perspective on how that basic observation has been borne out in the context of you, you know, winning those mandates, but then obvi- obviously needing to service those mandates, execute on those mandates to generate a great outcome for your clients. Do you have a well of talent that you can work alongside to, to get the deal executed? Uh, do you find yourself syndicating with other investment banks, perhaps, or bankers on, on deals to get that done? You know, share a little bit about how that process has worked for you. So with that, finding mentors, advisors, for whatever I've done throughout my career is something I always seek. So the investment bank I'm at right now, I mean, we got 15 principals. We got a research team, compliance. And if you look at our website, there's gray hair and no hair. Like everyone's pretty seasoned. So it's fantastic just asking questions and having the team built for whatever the engagement that comes in. And then outside of the group I'm with, over the years, I've built up a lot of friends that are investment bankers that, you know, I'll ask them, hey, what are your thoughts of this? What are you seeing in the market? I go to a lot of, back to ACG, Association of Corporate Growth, their events, ask people questions, Bernstein, go to their event. There's, if I see a, a private equity investment bank in the event in Silicon Valley, I block that out of my calendar. And 
ACG Deal Max in Vegas coming up. That's been blocked out since I knew when the dates were confirmed. I am constantly absorbing information. Podcast. There's not a moment where I'm walking or driving that some investment banking related podcast is not being played. Some something to do with the middle market or lower middle market or I just get as much information from as many sources as possible, surround myself with people with more experience in all different areas. And also, you know, listen to the other advisors that are on deals. Like I'll sit there and listen to the the lawyer, the accountant, whoever. I'll go through every document line by line multiple times. And I'm going to say, I mean, there's, there's others that I know that skim through stuff where I'm highlighting, I, I'm... I think maybe I'm a little bit too in the weeds with a lot of things, but with that and having the team and the outside resources, I I try to position myself in the strongest position as possible, and I, I think it shows. And so, tell me a little bit about you know some transactions, maybe on a high level or on a no names basis, obviously that that you've worked on lately or perhaps even just industries that you've worked in lately, uh, where you've had deals lately that have excited you. And, you know, just share a little bit for our listeners in terms of what you're excited about as it relates to your investment banking practice in the remaining three quarters of the year. So, I mean, deals that have been, one thing about investment banking that was just fantastic is these are life-changing transactions that you're working on. When you close that deal, the founders, their lives are never the same. I mean, they get to either retire, they get to have funding for their next project that they've been dreaming about. There's that stress, that pressure taken off their shoulders. It just, everything changes. And it's an amazing thing to to go with them on this journey from them saying, I was never able to buy a house. You know, we've we've basically had to nickel and dime everything to oh my gosh, I, we're going to get a house, you know, we're having our first kid, this is perfect time, and this is why we, we've worked so hard over these years. So there's a transaction I, I got to, to work on. It was pretty quick. There's an acquisition offer in their hands, and they were just, you know, one, is this the best offer? And at the time it was, you know, this isn't game-changing. We think our company's valued for more. We stepped in, we, we got them what they wanted, which was a lot more than that first offer. And, you know, that's not always the case, but they didn't have anyone on their side of the table at the beginning and they were kind of getting pushed around. But once we stepped in, it was, okay, this is where we see it. And if not, we'll run a process and we'll bring in other people. We worked with them through the transit, through the whole transaction. of, And it was, it was funny because... They were very, it was, you know, very engineer, whereas we want to know everything the, this, you know, what's the next step in due diligence? Why do they, why do they need this? What's the disclosure? You know, why like everything was sit down, explain things next, sit down, explain things, sit down. Cause for them, at least it was, oh, we, we built this company. Don't we get to sell it over the weekend? You know, it's like, no, no, you built it now. You you got this letter. Let's look, let's get this document. Okay, now there's due diligence, and they're gonna look at your code. They're gonna look at what? They're gonna look at it. Yes, they're gonna you know they're gonna do IT due diligence. They're gonna do this. They're gonna do that. And it was hand holding them through the whole process. 
and you know, friendliest guys ever. And at the very end, it closed. We had to negotiate the the uh, employment contract after all this stuff, and we were working with them. They got what they want, but now they're in a position in life where, when the earnout is over, because there's that transition period, you know, they can they don't need to stress about things, and, and they're young guys. I mean, we're talking mid thirties that they have the rest of their life where it's like, okay, what do, what do you want to do? You don't have to work. You know, they were working from when they woke up to when they fell asleep for a number of years. It's crazy. I think one of the one of the things that really stands out about the way that you approach investment banking, and I'll connect that to the podcast, is that I've noticed just through what you do on social media and through the podcast that you spend a lot of time demystifying the process. And I do think that there is this perception of, you know, kind of, the investment banker as the artist that is going to just magically make things happen for for a founder or owner operator and the work that you're doing in you know unpacking that for people that don't have previous exposure to investment banking and don't understand the process is incredibly important because if you as a business owner are really focusing on getting your business ready for an exit there's probably, even if that exit is a year away or two years away, there's things you probably need to be doing right now to prepare for that eventuality. In your experience, what are the top two or three things that a founder that's anticipating an exit needs to be thinking about, putting into place, let's say, a year out or two years out? Honestly, one of the first things I'll tell people is talk to a financial advisor talk to a tax strategist, talk to those those people that can give you an idea of what your goals are in life, what type of exit you need. <laughs> and because, I mean, we'll have conversations with someone, yeah, this is the type of, you know, this is what we think we can get for your company, we'll move that along, and then towards the end they go, wait a second, this isn't enough, I talked to so-and-so, I need this. And you're like, whoa, we're pretty far along. Or, hey, I just had this conversation and apparently I because of where we are there's not enough time to get this tax strategy or that or way in advance have the conversation with the right advisors for the transaction then have that conversation with the investment bankers or whoever you want to work with way in advance as well because they'll tell you hey these are the value drivers here's here's the metrics kind of for your industry what industry averages where you are hey do you have it so if you were to write everything in a book and hand it to someone, could they could they run that business? Like, how valuable are you? Because if your dream is to sell this and then go sail off into the sunset, when in reality it's you're so valuable to this business, you sell it, you're there for three to five years, that's a different outcome. And then also the conversations with everyone else that's important in your life and make sure they're on the same page because this is stressful six to nine months for selling a company on average where you could be down the line and next thing you know, because of an argument you had with your significant other because it's not moving fast enough, you turn it you know, show up at that management meeting in a bad mood and emotions go south on both sides of the table where it's, you know, have these conversations in advance, get everyone on the same page. So there's a lot of emotional preparation before that transaction. And it's understandable that there's a lot of peaks and valleys when you think about 
these companies, a lot of people have put in more into their companies over the last seven or 10 years than they have in their marriage, with their family, with anything else they've done. And now it's that emotional component where, you know, in the next short period of your life, it's going to have the pretty much the biggest financial impact of anything you've ever done. So emotionally get ready, financially have those plans, sit down with, with your investment banker or whoever to talk about value dollars. Get to know your team, even, you know, your M the MMA lawyer, whoever you're going to work with, just have coffee with them or something way in advance. And if you don't like their personalities, if they don't have the same beliefs, values, better to, to find that new person way in advance than when you're in the transaction and they're going, hey, who's your MMA lawyer? Ah, uh, I got to go find that person tomorrow. At ah, You know, have all these people in advance, your team, and really prep, prep for that year or two in advance. And that way you're going to, you know, you're going to be going out at the right time. You're going to have the 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 maximum valuation, and maybe something happens in your life where you know, unfortunately, you get sick or something. And instead of two years from now, you have to sell it six months from now. You'll still be in a better position by doing even that little prep than if you had it at all. And by doing that prep, your business is going to run better, smoother anyway. I mean, Fed, I'd love to get your thoughts on. You know, I'm sure I missed a couple things there, so I'd love to get your thoughts on it as well. No, I think you nailed it with really starting with the end in mind. Right. <laughs> I liked how succinct you said that. Yeah, just <laughs> what are your objectives? Because the objective isn't to sell the business. The objective is to achieve a monetary outcome and optimize for some balance between your maybe maybe there's other things you're you're trying to do in your professional life or some personal life objectives that you had. So really get to the core of what you're trying to achieve because it's not actually about selling the business. It's about what selling the business enables. Uh, it enables you to do other things. And what are those other things? And so not to turn this into a kind of a life coaching session, but I'm totally with you that you know you, you need to start with those objectives, but then working back from those objectives, understand what the implications are. Because you know I, I was involved when I practiced law in many M&A processes where I think founding teams and management teams, especially when, when we were on the sell side, I was observed this all the time, dramatically underestimated the amount of time that this was going to take, that this was going to occupy for them. And by the way, they're still running a business, right? And there's still the day-to-day -day challenges of that business that they have to confront. And oftentimes, in fact, the vast majority of the time, the processes are confidential. So you know, you're, you'll have a day job of being the CEO of a company, but then when, you know, when folks log off at the end of the day, you immediately have to switch gears and focus on answering diligence questions or populating the data room or, you know, kind of working out some negotiation points with, with your investment banker. And it's incredibly stressful. And I, I do think that, to your point, folks, lower middle market businesses, management teams, they tend to underestimate the amount of work that it takes. And one of my favorite things is everyone says, oh, selling my business is going to be a simple process because everything is clean, everything. And you're, and you're just shaking your head because no, no deal is simple. Not at all. And also management teams tend to look at their business with a certain degree of rose-tinted glasses, especially founders, right? Because at the end of the day, the founder is so professionally, personally invested in the business 
that no matter how disciplined they are, they've likely drunk their own Kool-Aid to a certain extent. And so it is that kind of cold analysis that that an investment banker can bring to the table and actually, you know, seeing through that rose-tinted lens and saying, well, actually, you know, this this is what we think your business might be worth, or here's some of the challenges you may have in in telling your story, and maybe here's some things you can do to change how you're telling your story, which requires a certain degree of humility on the part of the founder or the management team to to accept that kind of feedback as well. And going with that, it amazes me how many conversations I'll have with founders that I'm the second or third person that, that they talk to. And I'll give my opinion and they'll refer back to someone they talked to earlier and go, well, this person says that my company's valued at whatever 5X that you said and that there's nothing wrong with it. And you're like, well, are you sure that they just weren't telling you what you wanted to hear? Or is that how you heard I yeah, <laughs> it is it is remarkable, some of the conversations you, you find yourself having. Any exciting plans you have for the balance of the year that, that you want to plug or, or you want to share with our listeners? I mean, for the rest of the year, for investment banking, uh, you know, I'm going to go to DealMax, the ACG event in Vegas. That's going to be great. Uh, at the end of this month, I am talking on Rudy School, the MBA program at my alma mater, UCSD. I'm on their panel for investment banking. That's going to be exciting. Uh, there's a, a couple of events coming up. We're doing another Capital Raise Exit Summit. Dates haven't been set, but probably um, towards the end of October in that, that'll be a big event. We did two last year, one in Austin, one in Silicon Valley. So there's a lot of stuff I have lined up along with my newsletter on, on LinkedIn and the podcast itself that you know, it's, it's going to be a great year. And then you know some of the deals I'm working on right now, they're moving along and I really... I think 2023, I, I, there's a lot happening. I don't know, whenever anyone talks about chaos, I guess it's part of being here in Silicon Valley. I just kind of start thinking of opportunity. And I, I, I think we're going to see a lot of things. Sean, I uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. And I just want to end the conversation by thanking you for all of the contributions that you're making to having stimulating conversations in and around the investment banking realm. Because to my point earlier, I really think that you're helping to demystify many aspects of the investment banking space through your podcast and through your social media presence, and you're having an impact. And so thank you so much for your contributions. I really enjoyed the conversation and I'm looking forward to continuing it in the days ahead. That is my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Finalis is a broker-dealer platform with everything that M&A advisors, investment bankers, and placement agents need to succeed. We deliver a broker-in-a-box regulatory affiliation solution, replete with tech-enabled compliance, research and analytics, deal lifecycle management tools, and a first-of-its-kind deal marketplace. Learn more at www.finalis.com. You've been listening to Pencils Down, a Finalis podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show on your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show. That helps us keep covering the latest in the private securities brokerage landscape. Thanks for listening. Until next time.